Welcome to the Exchange for the Exchange podcast, where we exchange ideas about current events, pop culture, and theology. And we are on air, boys. Okay. You are live. For the record, Josh Pinnell is laughing. Nikolai Carpathia. (laughs) So gentle. Wow. I don't even know what Alex is going to say at this point. Welcome to the Exchange podcast. It's good to be with you uh, again. I'm joined, as always, by my esteemed co-hosts, Daniel Lopez and Josh Pinnell. I'm doing well, Alex. Thank you. Just living the dream, man. Living the dream. The dream is being lived. Oh. As, we, as we speak. Boys, we all know this truth, but our listeners, the, the droves of people who listen to the show do not know this truth, and that is... We are recording at a different time than normal um, because our our previous attempt to record this show was thwarted by a surge in power. By Satan. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's just be up front here. By Satan surging <laughs> my power at my house. He personally chopped the wire. <laughs> yes. Well, I think it was a squirrel, actually, that chewed the cord. But Yeah. Inhabited oh. by Satan's spirit, dude. Yes. No, that... Whatever animal it was, we don't know. But we know that whatever animal it was, it was possessed by Satan. Undeniable. Undeniable. Stop this podcast. So, power got cut. There was rioting in the streets. Looting <laughs> started instantly. Cars were being burned. <laughs> People were freaking out, man. We were We were without power for, like... A good 35 minutes. <laughs> and uh, and then finally, power was restored and order was restored. Good. The community is rebuilding. Uh, it suffered damages, but <laughs> things are going well, you know. Things are going well. Lots of opportunities for outreach with uh, builds, though. <clears throat> But uh, but we, Alex, we you're, you're a you're a pastor, Alex. Is this is this going to come up in your sermon illustration? Kind of like you know how all those people were looting your homes. Well, that is what Christ did to. The oh my goodness! Stop. Like, is this gonna well, is this gonna somehow make its way into your maybe like craft your whole sermon around this, Alex? So yeah, I'm not the I'm not the main preacher at the church I work at, um, but I will definitely I I'm sure that it will be addressed. Because, I mean, 1,900 people lost power for half an hour. But Christ oh. never loses his power. Christ <laughs> not let you down. Your power might let you down. Jesus does not let you down. <laughs> Guys, we could write a whole sermon right at this moment, I think. Dude, the, way, the ways that you could exploit that power surge for a sermon is endless, man. Kind of exposit it for the people. Then you could be like, "What did you do during your power surge? Mm. Did you did you play with your family? Did you did you wash the dishes? Did you read your Bible? Because yeah. your TV is out. Did you remain faithful? Priorities. Yeah. Priorities. Did you turn to the darkness? You know what I mean? Yeah. Did you let yeah. the darkness dictate how you're going to live your life? That's good stuff. Did you- did you light a candle to, to light up your house? Or did you prefer the darkness? 
Well, boys, uh, we we are recording on December 29th. Um, how was your guys' Christmas? Josh, why don't you go first? It's good, man. It's good Christmas. Uh, got to Skype with the fam, <clears throat> which was great. Um, we celebrate three days of Christmas here. So we do our family one day on Christmas, Adam. We do my family on Christmas Eve and Sabrina's family on Christmas Day. We had three days of Christmas here, and it was pretty awesome. We went, went to church on Christmas morning. Had a great time. Excellent. Now, when you say that you Skyped with the fam, did you actually use the application Skype, or did you use something else? I used, I used the application Skype for Sabrina's wow. fam, but uh, for my fam, we use Facebook Messenger. Mm. Because people use that word Skype for any sort of video calling. Like Kleenex, like if it's a if it's oh, a tissue, yeah. doesn't matter who makes it. It's not a facial tissue. It's Kleenex. Yeah. Daniel, how was your Christmas, buddy? It was wonderful. I uh, had to work Christmas Day, oh. which stunk. But we celebrate Christmas on Christmas Eve, so it worked out pretty well. Uh, did was Starbucks open all day on Christmas? Yeah, um, they were open from eight in the morning to eight at night. Wow, all day. Yeah. You'd war against, against Christianity right there. Yeah. First the Red Cups. Now keeping people away from... from I mean, it's the Lord's birthday for crying out loud. They want you to miss They want you to miss the party, man, his birthday. Yeah. They don't want you to see the Lord cut the cake. You know what I'm saying? They, they don't want you going to his house on his birthday. Uh, <laughs> you should have been rioting outside of Starbucks. <laughs> A one-man riot. If the power didn't go out, Alex, so he couldn't. If the power had gone out, then he could have. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. You need a reason to do it because if power was on, we all would just been inside watching TV. But, dude, with with current events like this, like my power going out, who even needs the scripture to exposit on Sunday morning? <laughs> this, dude. Exactly. That's kind of how it goes. I mean, I'll find a verse that kind of correlates and tie it in there. But, I mean, really. No, this is what you need to do. You need to go on to Google search and just type in, like, Bible verses about darkness. Mm. Maybe mm. maybe find, like, the top 12, kind of disperse them throughout your sermon. You know, 12 might be too much. Maybe, like, top five, three or five. Kind of just throw them in there throughout your sermon, reference them every once in a while, and then just move on. Keep talking about the power outage. Yeah, you want to throw people off? You got to use the New Living Translation. So they won't be able to tell whether it's scripture or just you being genius. Mm. That way, you get a little bit of the glory too. I'll use my own translation, but I'll make it really. Oh, relevant. okay, gotcha. Yeah, I'll make it really relevant. Yeah, I mean the the trick is honestly the trick is is you want to have enough verses so that they don't get a lot of in depth information about one verse. Mm-hmm. But not so many that your that your sermon is like scripture saturated. You don't want that. I mean, it's a balance, dude. It's a balance. What draws people in is Alex talking about real life. Yeah, yes. talking about that squirrel. Yeah. Alex talking about <laughs> darkness and the rioting and the looting and the pillaging. Speaking speaking of rioting, boys. Speaking of rioting, we have our first topic we need to get to. The Libertarian Republic released an article recently. Um, asking the question um, and exploring the relationship of Jesus 
end of socialism by asking the question, was Jesus a socialist? Well, I want to throw this over to Daniel, first of all. Daniel, was Jesus a socialist? Well, I think that it denies it denies something of the deity of Christ to ask that question. So it's the wrong it's the wrong question to kind of come in come into the room with. Jesus kingdom is not a hum it's not a a fallen human kingdom. It's it's a godly kingdom. It's it's not of our world, but it's gonna it's in our world. Um if we had to tag Jesus with, with some of the words that we use today that they didn't have back then, we would probably say that he's an authoritarian. But the difference is that in the kingdom of Christ, uh, people aren't forced to obey. People obey him because they love him, because they want to. And Jesus only gives us things that are good for us. You know, it's, it's not about us or the whole it's about him. So no, I don't believe Jesus was a socialist. I believe that there are definitely some socialist stripes if you look at the way he rules his kingdom, but it's it's a totally different category. Um all right, let's pass this over to Josh. Josh, was Jesus a socialist? Uh no, Alex, Jesus was not a socialist. So I have a few reasons for saying that. First, it's uh anachronistic. What I mean by that is you can't assign a term that was developed after the life of Jesus to Jesus. Just like you can't say, for instance, Augustine was a Calvinist. That would be anachronistic. It would be assigning a term to him that wasn't developed till many years after he lived. Um, and so because just, just on that fact alone, you can't say Jesus was a socialist. I would say that the Bible uh, is anti-socialism. People who use texts about Jesus saying give to the poor are taking an idea of, you know, being generous to people, doing to others as you would want them to do to you. It's taking what Jesus is saying to do on a personal level and then, and then applying that to government, which Jesus is not advocating government redistribution of wealth. He's saying give to the poor, which is completely different than what socialism teaches. Do you think that socialism is the closest form of government? that we have to how Christ operated his ministry. Like people are going to bring up the examples of Christ feeding the people in the wilderness. They're going to bring up the examples of Christ feeding the poor, healing the poor, doing all these things. Um, they're going to bring up the idea that the, the, the early church lived as a community um, and they all gave and they all um, took what went when was needed and things like that. Um, our, do you think that uh, it may not be a perfect fit, but do you think that the Bible does seem to teach some mutated form of socialism from these verses? Um, and if you were to pick one form of government we have today, that socialism might be the closest. I would say no. If you've read, and I've read communist manifesto, if you've read Marx, then what he, what he believes in is no private property. There is no private ownership. There is only government ownership, and then the government distributes what is owned how it wishes. And I would say that the Bible does not allow for that category of no private ownership. Simply by the verse, simply simply by saying, thou shalt not steal, which Jesus is the God of the Old Testament, so Jesus said, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet also. 
Those things necessitate private ownership of property. Furthermore, I think in the example of Ananias and Sapphira, also, Peter, Peter says to them, after they sold their land, they had money, and he says to them, it was yours to do whatever you wanted to with it. What you chose to do with it was lie to the Holy Spirit. Simply because the, the early church lived as a community and gave to a central fund and a central pool of money does not mean that they didn't have private ownership. And if you have yeah. private ownership, then you can't have socialism. You know, any thoughts, buddy? I'm blown away by uh, Josh's very skillful articulation. That was phenomenal. Well, Thanks, I do. Josh. Can I give one more thought? Yeah, Before absolutely. Yeah. I think I think um, the text which most strongly is against socialism in the Bible is the account of King Ahab and the vineyard. So in King Ahab, King Ahab says, I want whatever that guy's name was, uh, I want his vineyard. And the guy says, no, I won't sell it to you. And King Ahab says, well, I'm going to acquire it by lying lying about who you are, lying about your character. And God kills him for doing that, for acquiring someone else's, for the government, a government official acquiring the property of a private citizen um, when the private citizen says, no, you can't have it. And I would say, and so God judges that. And I would say that that text also uh, is anti-socialistic. First Kings 21 is where it's found if, if anybody wants to look it up. Just to, just to top that off, you know you have the, you have the, the church in Acts forming a community that was voluntary, right? They were giving because they wanted to give. They were not forced to give. Josh's point about Ananias Sapphira was, was really good. Um, you move into the new, you move it kind of in, into Paul's time in the New Testament, there's the churches, and you have him set up structure for when and how to give to certain types of widows. So he's saying like, don't give blanketly to widows. If they have family that can help them, family should be helping them. But if they don't have any family, then you should give. Um, And then you have, you have admonitions for if people don't want to work, they shouldn't eat, you know? So it it was not, uh, it was not a a community. It, It was not a socialist community. Um, it was a voluntary give of your resources community um, that is not prescriptive for the church today. Well, let's uh, let's move on to the second topic, um, boys. We we like I said, we're recording on December 29th, and Christmas was was a few days ago. Christmas this year, as everybody knows, landed on a Sunday. So you know there was there was some tension there between should we go to church, not go to church. Um, Pastors were, were thinking, should we cancel church? Should we not cancel church? What should we do? Should we amend our services? There's a lot of there's a lot going into this. I want I want to hear your guys' opinion on the topic. Should people have felt compelled to go to church on Christmas? Should pastors have, have felt compelled to have service on Christmas? What are your guys' thoughts on church on on Christmas falling on Sunday? this year. Daniel, I'm going to start with you. Well, the church gathering on, on Sunday is not, it's not a, I mean, you could argue that it's a doctrinal decision. Obviously it's theologically founded. Uh, it's to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ because historically that's when the day they decided to celebrate that. And we've always done that, but you don't have to meet 
on Sunday to celebrate the gospel, to celebrate Jesus Christ, to come together. You can do that on a Saturday too. Now, I think it's really cool that it fell on a Sunday because what better day to celebrate the incarnation of Christ than on the day you usually celebrate his gospel. I think I think if you went to church on the 25th of December, it was probably a very joyous gathering. It was probably a very happy time, you know, to to see your your fellow brothers and sisters that you love and to greet them with Merry Christmas and you know, you get to it it brings it brings the the Christian context, the Christian joy of Christmas into an event, you know, that's more public than just the four or five of us at home sitting around the tree opening gifts. That's wonderful, but I don't think you have to have that. Good thoughts, Dan. Uh, good thoughts. Um, Josh, what do, you, what do you think about this topic, man? My church met on Sunday morning, uh, and it was really wonderful. We actually had an, an abbreviated service, so it was only an hour long instead of two hours long. Uh, so that people could have more time with the family, which I really appreciated our pastors doing that. With that being said, I think, I think uh, Daniel's right. I can't think of a thing I would more want to do on Christmas than be with God's people, be in God's house, and celebrate the gospel. Dan, I, w- I would want someone to explain to me why they would not have Christmas on Sunday and explain to me how they were thinking about what Christmas actually means. Like, defend it from a perspective that says Jesus came to earth and we're celebrating that today, I think it'd be really hard to do that. But that's not wrong. Their mentality isn't, oh, we we are not going to do it this day because Jesus came. Their mentality is, well, you know, we want people to spend that day with their families. The church I go to, they did a they did a Christmas Eve service instead. So we did everything that we would have done on Christmas Day. We sang Christmas hymns. We took time to fellowship. We had a we had a sermon for one of our pastors. You know, we did everything we would have done on that Sunday, but on Christmas Eve, which was a Saturday. I think I think it gets more complicated when you don't have a service at all. That that's what I would say doesn't make any sense. I would say the day does matter because, uh, especially uh, from Revelation one. John talks about how he was in Patmos on the Lord's Day, which is contrasting the Sabbath. There's a new day that God's people meet, and that day is Sunday because of Jesus' resurrection. And I would say the day the day itself is very important. So we shouldn't meet on a Saturday? Yeah, we should not. I, I would say if you're meeting on a Saturday, then uh, the writer of the Hebrews would have some thoughts about that. That's a fair point. Good thoughts, boys. Um, good thoughts. Yeah, our church had a Sunday service. Um, we... Uh, we met for an hour, which was an abbreviated time. It was great, man. It was great, and all the and, and everybody had their families up in service, and it was a very light service, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's exactly what, that's exactly what we did too. So we had our whole family. So my daughter, my wife, and I were all sitting in the service together. I have to say, like we, we were singing Christmas songs about Jesus coming and about the gospel, and it was just so much more meaningful to do it on a day set apart to celebrate of celebrating Christ <clears throat> and His birth. It wasn't really like a inconvenience, you know. It did it did kind of change the day. I mean, it made the day a lot more busy. Like Sundays for us is just a really busy day overall, and then you put it on Christmas, it made it really busy. But I don't know. I, I felt like it was. I felt like it was. It was a cool opportunity. 
and I wouldn't I wouldn't pass it up. I mean, like I previously yeah. stated, what more joyous day to celebrate Christmas yeah. than on a Sunday? It just seems so consistent. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily I wouldn't necessarily say that you have to do that. Um, I don't think pastors who canceled it failed or anything. The thing is, I agree with Josh, and according to the church that I go to, according to their doctrinal statement, they would also agree that you that you need to meet on a Sunday. This was not a regular thing. This was a one-time circumvention of that day. It wasn't forsaking the gathering of the saints. It wasn't saying we're going to meet on Saturdays now because we don't want to meet on Sundays. Dude, but that, that, one time, that one time turns into two times. Turns into two times. Before, before you know it, you're you're speaking Hebrew together, quoting Deuteronomy oh, text. Like that's all you're doing, man. That's all you're doing. Bar mitzvahs. Uh, one stumble, one stumble turns into falling down Mount Sinai. I'm I'm mocking myself here. I think I tend to come across pretty strong a lot of times. Uh, so yeah, I I understand what Daniel's saying. You don't want you don't want to make people choose a lot between two good things. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I don't I don't want to say that like I don't want to make the gospel hard for them. Like I, I do want them to to count the cost and to to commit to Christ. You know and things like that. But you know you don't you don't want to be overly burdensome. And 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 and, tra- and make people feel guilty for desiring a good thing, which is spend time with their family. Um, it, I don't think it's about the gifts, you know. I don't think it's about that. I think it's about the time with the family, and that that is a good that is a good tradition that we have on Christmas. But I just think it would be. I think it it the the cost that you pay for having a little bit less time with your family is well is well made up with what you get by being able to celebrate Christ's coming with Christ's bride. But anyway, boys, good, good thoughts on that. Uh, th- uh, let's, let's go to the third topic now. Um, there is a internet service called VidAngel that you can rent movies from. Well, technically, you buy the movie for $20. You own the movie now. You can filter content of the movie. I, I kind of was looking at it. Uh, you can you can say I don't want these words to come through. I don't want this sort of content to come through. They've watched the movie before and they tell you what's in it, and then you kind of they, they they generally describe the content, and then you say I want to see that or I don't want to see that. You can sell it back for nineteen dollars, and 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 in so doing, have essentially rented the movie for a dollar. Uh, what are you guys' thoughts on VidAngel? Uh, content filtering, um, objectionable content in movies. This might be a big topic that we'll need to come back to at a later time. But uh, what do you yeah, guys think about uh, this? VidAngel is going through a lawsuit right now, and and they and they won the previous lawsuit, but this one is a little tougher. So, you know, the producers are claiming, "Hey, we're making a work of art, and you're not you're you're not showing that to people. You're not giving them the full picture." To which I would retort, okay, but you put it out there, and they legally bought it. This is not illegal. And, you know, this comes into the home of someone, and they don't want to watch something. They can choose not to. I I am actually against government censorship, but if it's private censorship, I'm not against that. I don't know how I could be, 
but then I also understand the tension of the producers, you know, the people who make these movies being like, yeah, but, but like, that's part of my movie. That's part of my story. That's part of what I want to put out there. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's a tricky issue, man. Um, cause you do want, you want to give artists the freedom to, to say what they want to say, to do what they want to do. Um, with limits, of course, like we, we, we don't give them limitless license. Um, and there needs to be probably more limits than, than what we think there needs to be. I think VidAngel's platform, their arguments are, are rock solid, man. I think they, they have their ducks in a row, dude. Producers have the right to produce whatever they want and viewers have the right to watch whatever they want. Whenever you argue for personal freedom, you win, like, especially in, in our country nowadays. I remember as a, as a kid, my dad would go to this website called pluggedin.com. Yeah. And, and that, and there was, I mean, our parents were very strict with movies, you know, and I think some of my, some of my unrationale and watching so much is probably stems from uh, frustration with that being, being a child. But I remember you would go to pluggedin.com and be like, oh, this guy watched this movie and he said there's all this stuff in it and your kids probably shouldn't watch it. You know, or like you probably shouldn't watch it. But I remember me and my brother always bickering in the background like, why is this guy watching this movie then? (laughs) Like he literally watched everything in the movie just to tell us that there's sex and these words in it and so we shouldn't watch it. You know, it's almost like I was like, either he's playing the sacrificial lamb, like, oh, I'll harm my conscience so you don't have to harm yours. Or like, or this is like an extremely hypocritical job. Oh, not not only that, but he's sitting there with a pitch counter counting every F word. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. They they give you the number of bad words in the film. I'm not joking. I don't know how you knew that, but it's true. 107. I'm using a pitch counter. But, but yeah, and and what's funny, man, is I have not come across a movie on Plugged In online. When I use or Plugged In, I, and I use it all the time, I have not come across a movie that they've actually recommended that you watch. And maybe it's just because I'm looking up all the wrong movies on that website, but, like, <laughs> I've never come across a movie where they're like, this is a good movie, you should watch it. Now, VidAngel actually addresses that that idea uh, I was looking through their frequently asked questions and stuff, and they're saying like, "Well, someone watched this movie," and the way that they get around that is they 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 leave it up to personal choice again. They only a lot they only have people watch the movies, certain movies that are comfortable watching those types of movies, whose conscience isn't seared by watching that stuff. So. You could argue: Should their conscience be seared by watching this stuff? You know, should should they should they feel okay watching these movies? But they say they they only assign certain movies to certain people, and they they allow people to say no to watching a certain movie and stuff. I would say back to the people who are suing VidAngel that these people who would use VidAngel service are all, are already doing what VidAngel provides by fast-forwarding certain scenes, you know? Um, it's a common practice in in, in uh, conservative households that when a certain scene begins, you grab the remote and you start fast-forwarding 
Um, at least it was in my, in my, you know, in my house and, and even now, um, you know, in my, you know, with my parents and everything. And now we, we fast forward through certain scenes too. Um, so you're already doing that. Like you're already editing. This just allows you to sit back and watch it without having to have the remote nearby. I support the right to edit content. I think that, that is a right that people should have. However, I, I, am, I am against art censorship. So while the government should not be able to tell people that they can't censor art, I am against, against the censorship of art for a few reasons. What do you mean you're against the government censoring art or you're against individuals censoring art? I'm against anyone censoring art. Okay. Yeah. So I, 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 don't, I think that uh, the artist created a piece of art and you need to, if, if you're going to say you've experienced the art, you need to watch it how they intended. You need to read it how they intended. You need to look at it how they intended, whether it's literature or a painting or anything. Like you need to, you need to experience it the way the artist intended. Um, otherwise, you are experiencing your own piece of art. You're taking what they've made and you're recreating it. Um, so, I mean, if you want to, if you if you want to watch it and not be able to say I watched that movie, that's fine because you didn't watch the movie. If you censor it at all, you didn't watch the movie. So in my home, the what we do when we're going to watch something, we go to IMDb, and IMDb Parents Guide has listed all of the content. And if it's content we don't want to watch, we just don't watch the movie. Hmm. Like we don't fast forward or mute or anything like that. We we determine beforehand is this something we want to watch or not. So I think that censorship of art does a couple things. One, it causes you to experience the art in a way the artist didn't intend, so you're not actually experiencing the art. Two, I think it creates a false sense of security because, um, well, if I edit out these words and these scenes and uh, this extent of violence, then I'm safe. But that's not true because anytime you experience a piece of literature or a piece of art, you're being forced into someone else's worldview. So you can edit out all the objectionable comments content you're still watching you're still looking at reality through another person's worldview if that person is not a believer then you're looking at reality through an unbelieving worldview which means your guard still needs to be up for objectionable content whether it's thematic or in the form of certain words or <clears throat> if it's just the way it um it resolves conflict your guard still needs to be up third i think that uh certain artists if they create art that is of bad taste, so because of humor, because of extreme violence, because of uh, extreme sexuality. Give an example of that. Game of Thrones is a great example. <clears throat> I would use that as an example, that while there is an excellent story being told, the fact that it has not just sexuality in it, but sexuality, which uh, is there for sexuality's sake. That artist should not uh, benefit financially from people who find that distasteful. <clears throat> so I'm just not going to watch it. I'm not going to pay the artist. If you, if you watch Game of Thrones censored on VidAngel, that artist is getting paid still for making art, which is crude and crass. And he should feel the negative, uh, negative effects of creating crass art. 
But like here, here's the other thing: how are, how is VidAngel deciding what what is objectionable and what is not objectionable? So, for instance, someone someone may be watching a movie with a, and one of the main characters has a mom and a dad, and they and they say, "Well, I don't have a mom and a dad," so I find that objectionable. I'm offended by that. So, or maybe they're offended by a gospel presentation in the movie because a Christian made it. Um, yeah, how are they determining? Go ahead. They, they, they categorize it. They say violence, sex, language. Those are the three categories they, they seek to. They yeah. Seek to and I'm asking, and I'm asking, why don't they have a category for religion or the gospel? <clears throat> what if I'm watching the movie and I want to edit out the gospel? For what if I'm watching uh, Fireproof and I want to edit out all gospel or Jesus content from the movie? Oh, what's a good point? They're 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 targeting a certain audience. There's nobody wanting to watch Fireproof that wants to get the gospel out of it. Like there's, there's that audience does not exist. I, I, I think that what you said, I think, okay. So here's what I, here's what I admire about where Josh is coming from. I think he's being extremely consistent. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah. yeah he's being sure. extremely consistent, which I admire. Um, I would expect no less from Josh Pennell. <laughs> I get my, emo- I get my emotions. I give my emotions too much credit which makes me inconsistent and I'm just going to admit that right off the bat. I agree with Josh that you're not that you that you're you're limiting what the person wanted to present. You're not being fair to the artist, but in the private home, I think you have the right to do that. It's impossible to fully experience the art the way that the artist intended you to experience it and to get out of it everything that the artist intended you to get out of it. Because you have different experiences, there's always going to be reinterpretation in your eyes when you, when you experience someone else's art. Um, and artists need to be okay with that. Like Artists need to be okay with people emphasizing something in their art that wasn't meant to be emphasized, or even getting something out of their art that wasn't meant to be gotten. Um, and I would say that because of that truth, because of that phenomenon, we have to be okay with people this with people setting up structure to experience the art the way that they want to experience it. Wouldn't you say that there's some form of cheating to present the statue of David and put a black square over the private part of the statue? But that's part of the statue as a whole. I mean, right. I believe the point of the statue is to say that even in his, even in nakedness, David was righteous. But there's no possible way that you've seen every inch of that statue. Like, it's impossible to take in every single detail that was, that was sculpted into. Yeah, but that. I'm not, I'm not, I, I agree with that. That's what I I'm agree saying. agree with though. that, but the present, but the presentation was there. You did see it. You just didn't spend 20 minutes focusing on his right kneecap. But my point is, is that because of that, because our minds are finite and because we are reinterpreting art through our filters, it's impossible to experience art exactly the same way that the artist intended us. And I say that carefully, exactly the same way that the artist intended us to experience the art. And because of that, I think it's okay uh, to set up filters to experience the art the way that you want to experience it. A lot of people in my in my culture are watching Game of Thrones. I want to be able to speak into that. 
without watching the actual full version of it, I think that I think it can be used sparingly um, for for good for good measure. I'm okay with that. If if you say if you say I've seen Game of Thrones on VidAngel. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm okay with that. But you cannot say the words I've seen Game of Thrones. Sure, if you haven't. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Can I can I ask you can I can I ask you boys one more question? Yeah, for sure. Okay, I think it's funny to see certain people uh, in the more conservative camps all about all about editing out content they don't agree with, all about editing out things they find offensive, right? Um, while at the same time making fun of trigger warnings on campuses. Uh, at the same time, making fun of people who find other things ob- objectionable and offensive. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're going to do this, you need to be consistent. You need to be able to say, okay, sugar warnings are okay. So pr- professors can say in their class, okay, guys, we're going to be discussing X, Y, Z that you may find offensive. And that, and that thing that they find offensive may be something like we're going to be watching a video where and in the video there is a boy – who has a mom and a dad who are both white. And some of you may find that offensive, and you can leave if you want to. If you're for VidAngel, I think you also need to be for that in order to be consistent. Oh, this is a huge topic, man. This is <laughs> Is our trigger warnings in the same realm as censorship? And I think that we need to discuss this next week. I really do. I, this is a, that is a great – I need time to think about that. Um, I need time to process that. What a great thought to bring up. I mean, are you okay with us doing it next week? Let's do it, man. Let's 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 yeah, leave, I mean, let's leave a cliffhanger. We're we're taking our audience right now. Our audience is dangling off a cliff. Just their legs. Their legs are going back and forth. There's a dangerous week, y'all. They were sliding off that icy mountain, and at the last second, they took their ice pick and they went ching. And we don't know. We don't know if it's stuck, if it's going to hold them. We just don't know. We'll have to find out next week. We'll have to find out next week. So you need to come in, same bat time, same bat channel, and uh, and 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 listen next week. I mean, they, they could have censored that part. of. You know, it might have been too epic. It might have been too thrilling. They could have censored that I, whole thing. But If they do that, I'm, I'm fine with that. That's their private right, but they can never say they listen to this episode. Oh, never. Don't you... Don't you censor us that you've listened to the to the Exchange podcast. Don't you dare say that you've listened to the Exchange podcast. On that sullen note, um, boys, I think it's time to to bid farewell. Thank you for 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 accommodating me in the power surge of where I live in Illinois. Um, the and, power and- sur- the power surge of 2016. Oh, it's going to go down, boys. It's going to go down in history. Um, they will be reading it as as a footnote uh, to to Illinois history as uh, as an epic time of rioting in the streets. But uh, on that note, uh, it was a great conversation, um, and uh, we will see you guys next week. Frosted the Exchange podcast. I'm going to give it a uh, good night and good luck. <laughs>